if you ask us to describe our ideal Sundays, all that we will want is a never-ending supply of hot kappa and laid-back conversations. So that is what we are bringing to you through Kappa Press, a marketing and sales talk show series by Paperflight. If you're all set, let's dive right into today's conversation. On today's episode, we have with us Pape Laya, the CEO of Winter, and he's going to be sharing his hot takes on differentiation. Today, we're going to be talking about differentiation and messaging. So I'm going to get right to it, right? What is one commonly floated advice about differentiation that you think is complete trash? Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of those. <laughs> um, I think the number one problem that I see uh, with, with the differentiation advice is, is, is that it's somehow something that you can sprinkle on top. So your company is, you know, is what it is. It's an agency. It's a SaaS company. And then you turn to your marketer or your copywriter and say, hey, okay, now can you add some differentiation on top? That, that doesn't work. Differentiation is not a line of copyright. It starts with your actual DNA of what is, what is, what is your company about and how, how it behaves, how it works. So, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Love that, right? Because it is not very uncommon to see that happening. So, fantastic. And with that, we've kickstarted today's episode on Kapa Press. Uh, Pep, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very glad to have you with me on the show today. And uh, I think we'll move on to the next question right away, uh, Pep. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Andy Cunningham. She was part of the Apple's Macintosh launch way back in 1984. So she says okay. that companies and brands should be talking about affiliation first and then talk about differentiation, right? Tell what you do and then tell how differently you do it, right? So you've spearheaded two brands yourself, starting with CXL and now Winter. So can you walk us through the positioning of these two brands, right? How did you tell people what it is that you do and how different you are from the other people? Mm -hmm. So 1984, the world was very different compared to 2021. So I think that advice is somewhat outdated. Mm-hmm. If you lead with what you do, you're positioning yourself as a commodity. If you're an SEO agency and you say, we're an SEO agency, you're a commodity. If you're an email marketing tool and you start with, we do email marketing, you're a commodity. The, there have never been as many brands as there are today compared to 1984 probably thousand times more every category is super saturated and the more mature category the more commoditized it is there are the category leaders number one and two in in any particular category and then a lot of these challenger brands you know companies smaller companies trying to grab their market share so if if they it's not, it's not possible to compete on, on what you do mm-hmm. or, or, or features. Like SaaS companies cannot compete on features because everybody will copy you. Whatever is working, they will have it, you know. Snapchat had stories. Oh, great. But now we're fleeting on Twitter. You know, it's the same stuff. Everybody has the same features. The same way that like if, you, if a services company, whatever service you offer, other companies can do that too. 
So you need to immediately position yourself through better messaging, better story. Yes, you still need features and all that stuff. Like you need feature par parity. You, you cannot be worse. You need to be at least as good, you know, to compare. But it's hard to be objectively better. I mean, some companies maybe are objectively better, but it's super rare. It's super rare. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's when you compete on innovation, you know, like you have just a more innovative product. And sometimes that's a transient advantage that you have over a short period of time. Most companies, though, can only compete on brand, your brand messaging and what, what, is your, what are you about. So when it comes to CXL, Spiro, my agency, and, and Winter, uh, so each one has a different positioning. So at CXL, which is an e-learning company, we don't say we do digital uh, online marketing courses and digital marketing. Because if we would say that, we would be fungible, easily replaceable with another. Because Udemy, that sells every course, is like what, $11, uh, low-quality mm -hmm. crap for the most part. I mean, why choose us? Like, if, 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 if we're an online, if we do online courses, might as well go to Udemy and buy the $11 thing, because they also do courses. So we position ourselves through the top 1% factor. We are leading with our courses, our instructors are the top 1% practitioners in the world. And so if you wanna become the best, you should learn from the best. That is how we position ourselves. So we are the platform where the best practitioners are teaching people that want to be the best. So the association, the tribe is like, there's an aspiration. I wanna, I wanna get somewhere with my career. So, uh, and we also say it's going to be hard work. It's going to take a long time and you probably actually not going to be capable of doing it. Like you got to give up, which is why you should probably go to Udemy because like mm -hmm. you don't have it in you or do you? So there's, there's a, a certain degree of this. This is called the hostile brand. You put a, like put up a velvet rope, you repel a certain group of audience and, and, and uh, in turn, another group of uh, the people are, are more attracted to this. So yeah, at CXL, it's the corner reason. Yeah, at, at Spiro, which is an agency, a consulting company, uh, we do customer experience and experimentation uh, consulting, uh, managed, managed exper experimentation programs. If you would, again, say just that, hey, we do CX optimization or we do CRO, we would be a commodity agency, but in fact, we're one of the more, most expensive agencies in the space. Uh, we we are, we compete actually on on narrative on narrative. So the narrative that we have hooked uh, ourselves on is what is going on in the world, and we call it. Right now, we live in the retention economy. So companies that are focused on short-term metrics of just getting people in the door, like more signups right now, that just like, let's do whatever it takes to increase our conversion rate. You're likely shooting yourself in the foot because you, you you're not taking long-term view. You're, you're, getting, you're spending resources signing up customers who, who will churn or who might not be best fit customers over the long run. So instead what is happening is like the companies that are winning are focused on metrics like customer lifetime value, retention rate, um, companies that have excellent retention rates get far higher valuations from, from like venture capital companies. So it's all about retention and 
optimizing your your website, your funnels, your you know everything should be through that lens. Are we driving long term growth? Are we moving uh, metrics like like uh, you know pipeline and and uh, LTV and and retention rate? And so we basically make a case where the old strategy is not working anymore. The old strategy of we're all optimizing for conversion rates that's short sighted and it's it's basically don't work anymore. In order to be competitive in this new world, you need to hop onto this new 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 train, this new vehicle that will drive you there where you want to go. And by telling the story, we are positioning our capabilities as if you want to be competitive in this new environment we're in, in this new world, that's that's you need these and these capabilities, and we as Spiro, we can help you get there. And so by by telling that story, we position ourselves as 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 the best option for you to adapt to this new world. And when it comes to winter, winter is in an interesting position where winter is an innovative product. It's the only one in the world doing what we do for now. The competition is coming for sure. So that just gives us some time to build up our moats, you know, for for when the com competition is entering. Um, entering the space. So with Winter also, we, we do uh, quite a bit of storytelling around the importance of messaging. Things that I already mentioned, like there have never been as many brands as before, and you probably cannot compete on in innovation, so you compete on messaging. However, imagine, uh, you know, a sales, we're on a sales call, I'm pitching you my product. And imagine that I can only see if you sign the contract or not. Like normally, a normal sales conversation, I see, you know, things that you like, I ask you questions, and then I talk more about the things that are important to you and less about other things. Um, in that situation, if I was not able to see your reactions, and only if you sign or not, that, that would be a ridiculous, it's an unthinkable situation. Whereas on the internet, on your website, that's exactly what is happening. Companies have their copy on their website, and they're pitching you, but they don't know how their pitch is landing, you know. And so we, we as Winter, we give you the data how this pitch is landing. So we're completely changing the game. So in this new environment, the world that we are in that is noisier than ever before, you need to compete on messaging. And so the capabilities for winning is you need to know what your target customer wants, what are the desired gains and the pains they want to avoid. And then if you craft, if you know that, you can craft your pitch and how that messaging is landing. So we are, our capabilities are what helps you win in this current world that we are in. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I mean, I love the incredible breakdown, right? That's beautiful. And you also mentioned a couple of factors here, Rob, Pep, when it comes to differentiation. So what I'm going to be doing next is I'm going to be listing out a couple of factors. And if you can give me the upside and downside of differentiating based on that factor, I think that would be incredible. Okay. All right. So the first one is a no-brainer. It is features that you've mentioned already. So if you mm. give me the upside and downside to that. Yeah. Uh, well, if if you can have more and better features, sure. But the fact is that you probably cannot. You know, mm -hmm. what well, you must have some sort of a crazy advantage to to be able to do something that others cannot replicate. Yeah. So it's yeah. not. A, I don't think you're able to pull it off. Like you have to be really honest with yourself. Like, do you have more money, more talent, more? You know. PhD scientists have access to some technologies that others do not. If you can, yes, but I think less than 1% of companies are able to pull it off. 
So if you just compete on features, others will copy you, and then you have no advantage anymore. And over time, all features that once used to be novel become table stakes, they become commodities. Mm -hmm. Uh, so if I was pitching you my email marketing software today, it's like, hey, did, you can track open rates and click-through rates, test, split test subject lines. You know, you'd be rolling your eyes like, yeah, <laughs> duh, but like, the tool does that, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So the next factor is customer experience, right? What is the upside and downside of differentiating on customer mm. experience? I think customer experience is massively um, has massive opportunity for most. Like anybody can compete on experience, which is great. Uh, obviously, it can. It will take creativity and money and effort to compete on it, but anybody can. So you can say that okay, let's say you're a local bookstore, mm -hmm. and you compete with Amazon. You know, I can just buy any book from Amazon. Right? Why go to my bookstore? Well, the bookstore has infinitely less resources than Amazon, but it can absolutely provide a better experience that you, than Amazon, right? They can, they can know me and who I am and what I like. They can, uh, you know, offer me coffee and cake and they can, you know, massage my back while I check out the books. Mm -hmm. They can watch my kid. They can play with my dog. I don't know, like all these things that they can do that Amazon cannot replicate. So I think investing in customer experience is, is a massive opportunity, especially for smaller business. I mean, for anybody really, um, especially because the, the default, the default experience is minimal. And I'm not just talking about product experience, you know, your product usability and the onboarding experience. Oh, of course, all those things need to be good as well. But mm -hmm. like way beyond that, the support ex experience, the, the sales experience, like, you know, so I think competing on customer experience is uh, has a lot of opportunity. None no if you have to downside. say, mm, okay, you say there are no downsides. Is that right? No downside. I I can't see any downside. Like I mean, obviously, if you do the bare minimum, anybody can do that. Like, but like most companies are doing the bare minimum. So that's if if you're gonna compete and differentiate in customer experience, you need to go all in. You know, like ten times better than your competitors. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So the next factor is price. Hmm. Well, pricing can be a reason to choose you because differentiation really is about why choose you over others. However, in order to do this sustainably without shooting yourself in the foot, you need to have some sort of a structural advantage. You know, like it, you need to really have some sort of innovation that helps you sell your product cheaper. Because if other people, other companies are able to offer whatever you're offering at the same price or at a lower price, what you're doing is insane. So, so you really need to ask yourself, like, do I have some something going on that gives me a massive advantage? Maybe all your people, all your employees are based out of uh, Bolivia. And so... Like, mm -hmm. It's cheaper, right? Because the cost of living in right. Bolivia is cheaper compared to Silicon Valley, maybe. But I mean, what if a Bangladeshi company comes that is even cheaper than one, you know? Mm -hmm. So, or you can have an innovation in your manufacturing process. And my favorite example here is uh, Barefoot Wines. It's an Australian wine manufacturer. You see it in basically every supermarket and their wines are comfortable, like comparable to like $15 wines in terms of quality. But the, the bottle costs like six bucks. 
And how is it so much cheaper is that they took out a critical process in the winemaking, which is aging. They don't age their wines. And so by not aging their wines, they were able to cut their cost, structural advantage, and now they're able to offer it cheaper. So if you can do that, sure. But like you need to have that structural advantage in place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got that. So the next factor would be the brand itself, right? You brand, would... yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. I think this, in the modern world where we have infinite competition, brand is ultimately your, your, one of the strongest modes you can have. And again, anybody can have a brand. I mean, brand that people know and like, it takes years to build. You know, like if we talk about mm -hmm. like Nike level brand here or Apple, uh, most will never, never get there. But anybody, anybody can build their tribe and be, compete on, on values, on point of view, things like that. So the way I see brand, you know, the, how we define brand. Brand is what they say about you. You know, it's not what you say, it's what they say. And ultimately, it's like, what does it say about me if I buy you, right? So if, mm. I, if I wear uh, Patagonia, uh, you know, outdoor jackets, it, it just tells me, tells the world about me that I, uh, I care about sustainability and I care about the nature and things like that. If I, uh, you know, wear a Gucci handbag, I'm signaling to the world that I'm rich, you know, like, so that's mm -hmm. the brand. And so you need to figure out like, what, what is it that, what idea you are owning in the mind of the customer? And, and if the customer is buying you, what are they signaling consciously or unconsciously? And you cannot uh, compete uh, on the same idea that as the market leader. So you need to go against the market leader. So a brand is an idea, right? So you, you need to stand for basically a singular idea, mm. ideally. I mean, if you get bigger and richer, you could stand for more ideas. But ideally, it's like there's an essence of your brand that is a singular idea. And if you, if you, let's say you also made jackets and, and gloves and hats and you, you're competing with Patagonia, you're going to lose because Patagonia can out sustainability you. Like they already own that brand and they have much more resources and they can be more sustainable than you probably. So, so, so don't, that's not to say that you can't be green. You can be green too, right? But the central idea is something else. Yes, I mean, Patagonia needs jackets that are as windproof as anybody else's. Like your product still needs to be good. You need feature parity. Mm -hmm. But the central idea, uh, you, you know, it needs to be something else. So, but absolutely be, be really clear about your brand and, and, uh, and you know, Consider that as your strongest mode, especially as a small business. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So this is the last but one factor of that, which is the personal brand of founders or key team members. Hmm. It, it can be huge. I mean, obviously your business brand cannot be the same as the founder brand, but a founder can be a reason to choose you. It is for smaller businesses, especially it is easier to build a personal brand than, uh, you know, a company brand, because it's easier for humans to relate to another human being uh, than, than a company. So it's, it's, it's a faster path. 
to success. And so if we look at especially, well, A, let's look at bigger businesses like, you know, Elon Musk and Tesla and then Zuckerberg and they're like Bill Gates and Microsoft and so on and so forth. B, they even B corporations are attaching a personal brand to a company brand. So Elon Musk fans buy Teslas if they can afford it, you know, and so on. And so, or Basecamp founders, like really outspoken, like, like clear conviction, the ideas that they stand for, for like privacy and like, uh, no, they say no to overworking and all this stuff, like prolific writers, uh, very eloquent. So I use, you know, I don't personally use, but people use Basecamp because they love the founders. They use, hey, the email service because they, they, they like the founders. It's a reason to pick, uh, pick the company, absolutely. And do you think there's any downside to it? I think the downside is like, what if the founder leaves? You know, like what if mm -hmm. what if you sell the company? So as a buyer, if I I, I was gonna buy Basecamp, uh, I'd be thinking twice. Like, what what do you have left if the founders are gone? You know, so so that is a liability. Um, I think there are ways around that. You know, uh, it's a, it, it's a medic. I think the pros outweigh the cons. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to attach the company company by itself also needs to stand for a set of values. So, so that the personal brand is just lubrication helps to mm -hmm. accelerate the brand recognition and the brand development of the company brand, but you don't want to have it like that is directly overlapping. Yeah. So like, don't, don't name your, your company after yourself, you know, which mm -hmm. is like if Kendra Scott sells her jewelry company and she, she, you know, goes on to do uh, uh, something else and she's not affiliated with the brand, but it's her name. It would be weird, you know, it's extremely mm -hmm. challenging. <laughs> yeah. Probably that's, that's the end of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love that. And this brings me to the very last factor uh, Pep, which is messaging, right? So what would you say is the upside and downside to it? So messaging, the way I see it is, is directly related to your brand and, and positioning. And you absolutely need to compete on messaging because it, it's, it's for the same reasons that you, you very few can compete on innovation. So what's left is competing on messaging. Obviously, I, I'm not just talking about the line of copy because it's it's copy is easier to copy than, than features, right? Anybody can write the same words on your website. So it mm -hmm. still starts from being something, standing for something, your DNA, what is your company about, your values, your point of view, things you do or not do. You're, you're also your point of view in terms of how you, how you uh, build your features and so on. But then once you're clear on what you're about, you're clear on your identity, you, communi you communicate through words. Before product market fit, before people, you know, use your product, love it, tell, tell others about it and are ready to pay for it. Before that comes message market fit. Like is what you're saying, does it resonate with people or does it turn them off? So competing on messaging is absolutely a must because if you're messaging, the opposite is like you, you go all in on features and you ignore messaging and you just say generic things. Or, or you become um, a commodity, like you say, we, we do SEO, we're a marketing automation company, which is, which is not, you're not creating any story there, right? And, mm -hmm. um, so story and messaging 
which is like a, just a longer way to talk about your DNA and what you stand for. It's an absolute must. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I think for the next five to 10 years, right now with the market being so competitive and noisy as it is, I think ignoring messaging and not competing on messaging is, is suicide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got that. And you also mentioned storytelling here, uh, Pep. I noticed a recent tweet of yours where you mentioned that a lot of storytelling books, right, keep repeating the same thing over and over again. Like mm. they talk about the story arc, they talk about the hero's journey, and all of it yes. is almost the same, right? So how do you stand out when it comes to delivering your strategic narrative and well, telling your story? My problem with the storytelling books is not the not the story arc or Joseph Campbell or and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Is that those books are extremely vague about how to implement or how to incorporate storytelling now into my marketing. How do I incorporate it in, in, in on my website? Like then, do I do a video or do, do I phrase the copy? Uh, how do I incorporate it in my ads? It's an unanswered question. Um, so so that is my, my gripe with it, mm -hmm. the, the lack of specificity. All these books are all about the why. Oh, people, you know, sat around campfires 10,000 years ago and then we resonate with stories. Okay, get great. Yes. Okay, fine. I believe you. Okay, now, now how do I do it for my business? And that's where the advice ends, you know, like it's so vague, it's so generic. Uh, so that's, that's my problem. And, 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 and hence storytelling has become such a, like an eye roll. Anybody, somebody says, oh, just tell better stories. And just, <laughs> you know, so, and I'm going to, I'm going to take it on as one of my, uh, one of my things to make it more specific, to give companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, an actionable framework for how, how you can actually incorporate it. Um, so yeah, watch that, watch this space. Mm -hmm. Sure thing, I will. And uh, you also mentioned message market fit, uh, Pep. So how do yeah. you test for it, right? Is there a specific set of data that you look at? What is the process? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so essentially you validate it. Uh, there's a two-step two validation. You mm -hmm. first validate qualitatively. So to start, you craft your messaging based on your first, your insight to the market insight to the customer so you some sort of, you need you need some sort of insight to, to base your first um, hypothesis on when you do your first draft of messaging you, let's say you craft your messaging you put it on your website and now does it resonate is the question what about your messaging people first of all understand and like what's like oh yes tell me more about that, that What's something that you're, you know, as they're reading or listening to your story that they're like nodding heads like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I want that. Yes, yes, yes. Versus uh, them like, oh, don't care, don't want, whatever, same old. So you, and you find this out through qualitative research. And so essentially you want to take your story and take it to the people that you're trying to influence. So if you're selling to SaaS companies, that get SaaS company decision makers. If you're selling to e-commerce or if you're selling to B2C, it's the same way. You just recruit people that are representing your target audience, people you're actually trying to market to, and then ask them line by line, paragraph by paragraph, 
how do they feel about it, what resonates, what re does not resonate, things like that. Uh, obviously, this is, um, it can be quite uh, time consuming. Uh, it's a pretty involved process, uh, which is, of course, why I went and built Winter, which solves this exact problem with a click. So you don't wouldn't need to do the heavy lifting. We do it all for the client, but like you can do it also without Winter. Like it's just quality of research, just very, you know, time consuming. Mm -hmm. Right. All this talk about messaging creep, uh, it makes me wonder, was there ever a time when a certain messaging did not work out well for you? For me? Yes. Hmm. Over the years, anything that kind of, you know, backfired. So when I started my my uh, my conversion optimization agency, we, you know, we were one of the few agencies around, so the market was not saturated, you know? So messaging was less important back then. Uh, and, I, you know, we, we played a big role in, in creating the category for conversion optimization. Um, I have a, I do have a failed uh, company in my history, but I think messaging was only like, just played one, one little uh, part in the failure there. There's like a multitude of factors, you know. So I have to, um, I have to admit that I don't have a personal messaging failure in my book, at least not a significant one, smaller ones, sure. Um, but I see it all the time, you know, on the market. Mm -hmm. And do you think there are certain factors that, you know, make a recipe for a short, short failure when it comes to messaging? Like what shouldn't be in a yeah, messaging? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the key problem is sameness. Mm -hmm. And sameness is the default. It's like most companies, they, they have two classic mistakes, or if I could say three classic mistakes. One, they talk about themselves as if they're only uh, the only one doing what they're doing. We do email marketing. Okay, so, so does everybody <laughs> else, you know, instant failure. Or they, um, they, they just say the same things, you know, like if it's a, if it's a survey company, you say, oh, build really flexible, customizable service fast. Da, da, da. And again, it's like there's just, like everybody else is like saying the same things. Or if it's luxury hotels, you say luxury and you show pictures of pools and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and now you have like there's there's no differentiation between, you know, Hyatt uh, Hilton or, or Marriott, you know, it's the same. You know, it's sameness is the default. So if you can avoid communicating uh, as if you're the only one doing what you're doing, like, you know, you're not. So stop communicating like that. And then don't, don't say the exact same things that people expect. If you're the, if you're the category leader, if you're like Hilton and Marriott, you can get away with it because market awareness, uh, market penetration awareness that you exist is far more important than differentiation. But if you're not a category leader, then it becomes very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I think we're moving towards the close of uh, this episode, uh, Prep. So I think I'll leave you with a couple final questions before we wrap up. Right. Okay. So what brands do you think are radically standing out with messaging? Mm. I think the classic uh, 
classic examples are uh, Drift, you know, with their uh, conversational marketing. They changed the they changed the way people talked about it. So uh, really change, you know, really good job over there. Like for, um, live chat, 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 and conversations instead of forms and like static. That that that's been a, a job well done. And then um, Gong uh, uh, being really also executing really really well, but also like what Gong is Gong is doing with their uh, messaging work, like in terms of like stopping the guesswork. Really, really nicely done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. That's a brilliant fix, Pep. So all of this talk about differentiation, right? And we also spoke about category creation. So do you think category creation is something that is like a shiny new object that the B2B world is chasing right now? If you can pull it off, the, the rewards are great, obviously. Um, however, only very big companies can pull it off because it will cost you millions of dollars, millions. So, if you if you if you don't have that kind of money at hand and you can't wait for you know years, then you're better off at uh, f doubling down on a niche uh, or going for a subcategory instead of category creation. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So talk to us more about Winter, our pep. So Winter is a is a B2B panel company, essentially. So we have the world's best B2B panel, people that you can target by job title, industry, company, headcount, things like that. And so you can root, recruit people that represent your customers, and then you can do message testing. You can put your marketing messaging in front of those people, and they'll tell you what resonates or doesn't. So you can optimize your messaging. You can do customer research, like learn what are the top pains your, your target customer has, what are their gains, how are they thinking about that space that you're in, like what is a perceived issue and what is not an issue, how do they want to buy, uh, all that stuff. If you know this, you can do better messaging and better marketing. So that, that, is, that is what Winter is enabling. It's, it's a completely unsolved problem right now. B2B panels is an unsolved problem. Getting data on your messaging is an unsolved problem, and and uh, low, fast, low hassle customer research is is a is a is a is a problem. Something that you, you would hire a market research firm for, you know, market research firm for what you can get from winter in like one two days or five hundred bucks. Market research firm, traditional firm would charge you like fifteen to twenty five thousand dollars and take a month. You know, like we're really disrupting that space. So if you're a B2B company and you want to compete on messaging, winter. <laughs> Love that, Pep. And with that, we've kind of wrapped up today's episode. Pep, thank you so much once again for your time. Really appreciate it. And I hope you had a good time. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much.